Warning. Seriously Strange covers topics that may frighten or disturb you. Viewer discretion is advised. The moments between when you call 911 and when police actually arrive can seem like a lifetime, and in those moments, a lot can happen. Emergency dispatchers aren't on the front lines, but they are on the phone lines, and their conversations often put them right in the middle of crimes in progress. And while the police might try to get there as fast as they can, they don't always win the race against the clock. For some unlucky few, 911 isn't the lifeline we all hope for. Dispatchers may be little more than another witness to a horrendous crime. From grisly murders to harrowing home invasions, here are 10 of the most terrifying 911 calls ever made. No matter how pleasant the animal may seem, there are always risks to having an exotic pet. Charlotte Nash was a single, hard-working mother from Stamford, Connecticut. She led a fairly normal life, providing for her daughter, Brianna. Charlotte was hired as a dispatcher for a tow truck company belonging to Sandra Harold. Over time, the two bonded and became good friends. During their friendship, Charlotte was introduced to Sandra's pet chimpanzee, Travis. As time went on, Travis began to experience unexpected fits of rage and would go out of his way to attack pedestrians in public, despite his owner insisting he did not pose a threat to society. On the evening of February 16, 2009, Charla's life would take a turn for the worst when she was called to assist Sandra in calming down the chimp. Being a good friend, Charla obliged and drove down to the property. Charla cautiously walked towards the chimpanzee. However, before she was even able to react, Travis viciously attacked Charla and began mauling her face with his hands. In a panic, Sandra attempted to defend her friend by beating the chimp with a shovel and ultimately stabbing him with a butcher knife. The attack on Travis negatively impacted him as he knew his owner had harmed him. This only enraged him as he continued to ravage Charlotte between beating and biting. Sandra made a frantic 911 call moments after stabbing Travis. Sandra, please! No problem there. The chimp killed my... My friend! He's killing my friend! Who's killing your friend? Get my chimpanzee! Hurry up, please! There's someone on the way. Upon their arrival, police had no choice but to shoot Travis to death in order to stop the attack. Emergency crews at the scene described her injuries as horrendous. The chimp managed to rip chunks of her hair out of her scalp. While defending herself, Travis tore nearly every finger off her hand, leaving her severely disabled. Lacerations to her face, including her ears, nose, and eyes, had also occurred, resulting in her loss of sight. Charlotte continues to undergo numerous facial reconstructive surgeries since the attack, and in 2012, she received a $4 million settlement with the estate of her friend, Sandra Harold, who passed away in 2010. The innocence of a child taken far too early. 
It was 1991 when six-year-old Lisa Floyd made a 911 call to emergency operators, something she was fairly accustomed to doing. Her stepfather was an alcoholic that frequently abused her biological mother, exposing both Lisa and her sibling to violence at an early age. In the following 911 recording, Lisa begs dispatchers to save her mother from the domestic violence that was taking place in their family home. The recording of Lisa has been used in organizations to bring awareness to the abuse that affects millions of children worldwide. Lisa is now a grown woman. She herself fell victim to an abusive relationship in her past, but she was able to get out safely. She is now an advocate for organizations that support children who fall victim to domestic violence. Being unable to save your family from certain death is a fear that many people share, and for some, unfortunately, that fear becomes a reality. On August 28, 2010, Mark Saylor and his family had plans to attend a family outing. Joined for the ride was his wife, Cleo Flastrella Saylor, their daughter, Mahala, and brother-in-law, Chris Flastrella. Just as they made their way onto the highway, Mark began to lose control of his Lexus as the accelerator was stuck. Unable to control the car, the Lexus sped up to dangerous speeds exceeding 100 miles per hour. Fearing for the family's life, Chris instantly called 911 for help as he sat in the back of the Lexus. The following audio was recorded just moments before their devastating accident. 911 emergency, what are you reporting? Hello? Failing to control the vehicle, Mark struck the owner of a Ford Explorer just before breaking through a fence, catapulting 100 feet through the air and crashing into a riverbed alongside the San Diego freeway. The owner of the Ford Explorer sustained moderate injuries and unfortunately, all four family members in the Lexus were killed in the accident. During one's adolescent years, dating is supposed to be a thrilling experience, but unfortunately, that's not the case for everyone. On New Year's Day in 2008, police were called after the bodies of two females were found inside of a taxi cab hidden just behind an abandoned hotel parking lot in Irvine, Texas. The two females were identified as 17-year-old Sarah Saeed and 18-year-old Amina Saeed. Two sisters who were both shot 11 times in the vehicle belonging to their father, Yasser Abdel Saeed. Despite their father marrying a non-Muslim woman from Texas, he was extremely strict in the upbringing of his daughters and enforced them that they would eventually be sent off to Egypt to marry men inside of their own religion. Yasser kept a close eye on his daughters and began spying on them while they were out in public. In a videotape Yasser took of Sarah at her work, he exclaims his daughter would be in big trouble for smiling at a customer she was speaking to. After looking through personal notebooks and inserting an audio tape into Amina's vehicle, Yasser discovered that Amina had been dating a boy who was not of the same religion as the family. Realizing that his daughter went behind his back, he drove the girls out to pick up lunch, parked the car in a hotel parking lot, and began shooting at both sisters. Amina was in the front passenger seat and was killed instantly just as Sarah called 911 in the back seat of her father's car. Mary, you still there? All I got is she's telling me she's dying. I'm getting. Both daughters were brutally murdered. The father of Sarah and Amina is still on the loose. 
The FBI is currently offering up to $100,000 for any information regarding the whereabouts of Yasser Abdel Saeed. If you have any information regarding this case, please contact the FBI's office at 202-324-3000. One moment you're fine, and in the blink of an eye, that can all change. It was July 10th, 2014 when Sharon Budd was in the passenger seat of her family car alongside her daughter Kaylee and husband Randy. As the family was driving on Interstate 80 in Pennsylvania, five-pound rocks smashed through the vehicle's windshield, colliding with the side of Sharon's face. The unexpected accident caused shock and terror to arise as the family pulled over to the side of the road. Moments after Sharon was hit, her husband had discovered that the rock severely fractured her brain, blinding his wife in her right eye. While she struggled to breathe and stay alive, Randy called 911 in utter shock, not knowing if his wife of 31 years would make it to see another day. Oh my gosh, something right through the windshield. Hi, uh, we're, I'm on the highway, uh, Route 80. Something just came through my windshield. And it hit my wife, and I think it went right through her head. Oh, my God. Can you please... Police were able to charge four teenage boys for their reckless activity after they threw the rock out of their car. Sharon continues to undergo facial reconstructions. Though the accident has changed her life forever, she continues to live with high spirits and is empowered by the support she receives on a daily basis from her community. Underneath a seemingly regular boy, there was a darkness just waiting to be unleashed. Jake Evans seemed like a typical 17-year-old boy. Nothing had appeared to be out of the ordinary. He had lived with his parents and sisters in Alito, Texas. On the evening of October 3rd, 2012, Jake used a 22 caliber to shoot his mother, Jamie, and his younger sister, Mallory, while his father and siblings were out of town. At 12.30 a.m., Jake calmly made a phone call to 911 explaining what he had just done as the bodies were left lifeless in the family home. killed my mom and my sister. What? I just killed my mom and my sister. You just killed your mother and your sister? How did you do that? Uh, I shot him with a uh, 22 revolver. Jake was apprehended and wrote a four-page confession to his brutal actions. He formed a hatred for his family and was inspired to kill after watching the Rob Zombie remake of Halloween three times that same week. He also had the intention to murder his grandparents and his eldest sister, who was currently at the home of his grandparents just across the street. Jake was sentenced to 45 years in prison and will be eligible for parole in 22 years. Don't talk, just listen. Paul Michael Stefani was an American serial killer that went on to brutally murder three women through methods of drowning and stabbing his victims over 60 times with knives, ice picks, and screwdrivers. Throughout 1980 to 1982, he began to call 911 operators and express his deep concern after each murder. His breakdowns were recorded on each occasion, and police were eventually able to name him the Weepy Voice Killer. He became known for his line, Don't talk, just listen, before sobbing uncontrollably to emergency operators. Please don't talk, just listen. I'm sorry I killed that girl. I stabbed her 40 times. Kimberly Compton was the first one. Oh, my chief. I don't know what's about me. I'm sick. I'm going to kill myself, I think. On August 21st, 1982, Paul admitted himself to a hospital after one of his final victims had badly injured him. Police were able to trace the serial killer to the calls, and Paul Michael Stefani was sentenced to 40 years in prison and died in 1998 from skin cancer at the age of 53. 
Claiming you were under the influence of a substance is a typical excuse people might use. Michael Anderson called 911 at approximately 4.45 a.m. on February 14, 2011 after confessing to the operator that he had overdosed on cough medication, which caused him to murder and mutilate his roommate, 36-year-old Stephen Starr. I took some pills and um, the pills made me go mad and um, I murdered uh, my roommate. You murdered your roommate? I shot him three times and I used the axe and mutilated his body. Upon arrival, police discovered the victim's body was mutilated beyond recognition and Michael had carved the word Joker on his victim's left chest and abdomen. Stephen was shot multiple times and was nearly decapitated after his body was chopped with an axe that Michael had owned. Michael Anderson pled guilty to second-degree murder and will spend at least 16 years in a North Carolina Department of Correction for his actions. It was supposed to be a joyous event for a new bride. Multiple calls were made to 911 on the evening of May 4th, 2013 after a limousine caught on fire while driving across the San Mateo Hayward Bridge in Foster City, California. Inside the vehicle were nine women who were in the middle of celebrating the recent marriage of 31-year-old Nariza Fojas, a nurse who was planning on having a second wedding with her extended family in the Philippines. The driver of the limousine, Orville Brown, called 911 in desperate need to help save the women who were trapped inside the engulfed vehicle. With the flames reaching dangerous levels, Orville stood by in panic as his passengers screamed for help. Five of the women, including the bride, died as a result of smoke inhalation. Four of the women managed to survive once firefighters made their way to the scene. It was later determined that the limo experienced mechanical issues that led to the fire. All deaths associated with the accident were ruled as accidental. The driver was left unharmed, but was fined for having more passengers than permitted. The final call from Kevin Cosgrove has gone down in history as one of the most tragic of all time. Kevin Cosgrove was a vice president of claims for Aon Corp, a company that provided insurance products for multiple businesses worldwide. On the fateful day of September 11, 2001, Kevin and his colleagues were trapped on the 105th floor of the South Tower of the World Trade Center. His 911 call made international headlines after operators captured his final moments of fear as the South Tower collapsed at 9.59 a.m. In the call, Kevin pleads for help, insisting that him and his co-workers weren't ready to die. He later told operators that he had lied to his wife after telling her that he'd already left the South Tower and was safe from danger. After hours of digging through rubble, the remains of Kevin Cosgrove were later discovered. He was given a proper burial on September 22, 2001. He is now memorialized with the thousands of victims at the National 9-11 Memorial in New York City. Kevin left behind a loving wife and three young children. On May 6, 2014, Phoenix, Arizona police dispatchers received a phone call from a terrified 47-year-old widow. Hello, 911. The woman was hiding in her bathroom, distraught, but she also was armed with a 38 caliber pistol. Okay. All right, I have a gun in my hand. 
terrified. The intruder seemed to know the woman was home. There was somebody banging on my Arcadia door. Police rushed to the scene as the intruder entered. We have had a lot of officers oh, out there. I just broke in. They're coming in right now, please, please. A few moments later, the woman came face to face with her assailant as he began to beat her. And shot him. With the man incapacitated and the police still on their way, it became clear who was in charge of the situation. As her fear turned to anger, the woman gave him more than just a bullet. So he thought the house was abandoned. Abandoned house with a car and locked gates and yeah. He said before you knocked, you banged, you tried to get indoors. I heard you out there. Police arrived to find both parties, the victim and her assailant bleeding and relieved at their arrival. The intruder was identified as 20-year-old Michael Lewis. Lewis spent a month in the hospital with his injuries and one year in prison for his crimes. In the early morning hours of Monday, April 20th, 2019, a man in King County, Washington, awoke to the sound of glass shattering in his home. He woke up to investigate and immediately realized there was a burglary in progress. He quietly retreated to his bedroom and called 911, but he had more than 911 on his side. Yeah, my house is getting robbed right now. Do you see someone inside? Yeah, he's, he's inside right now. Okay. Are you armed? Yeah, I have a gun. The intruders continued ransacking the home. Okay, is that crashing out here behind you? Is that them? The dispatcher hurried to get police to the scene, encouraging the man to stay quiet and keep his presence in the home unknown to intruders. Do they know you're there? Okay, okay, stay quiet. Okay, keep yourself safe. Okay. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? The dispatcher recognized the sound as agonal breathing and knew that someone was dying on the other end of the line. The question was, who? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. 
Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Hello? Hey, what's going on? Where are you? Okay, we, we've got officers coming. What's going on? What happened? The homeowner came back on the phone. I I had to shoot him. He came after me. I'm hiding in my closet by bedroom. Okay, where are you right now? Sorry, I don't know. No, no, you're okay. But the ordeal wasn't over yet. So if I'm coming up the stairs, where is it? There's more people. There's still more people. Okay. Yeah. How many more? Please hurry. Please hurry. Yep. Nope. We've got officers coming. There's another another guy downstairs. I think he just left. Did the person that you shot, did he leave, okay? Or is he still on the ground there? No, he's down. He's here on the ground. He's hurt. Okay. Did you hit the other one? Do you know? I, I, no, the other guy was um, downstairs, I think. I think he ran. After several minutes, police still hadn't arrived on the scene. We're getting there as fast as we can, okay? The injured intruder was slowly dying on the floor. This guy's still alive, but he's going to need help. The victim, terrified for his own life, continued hiding from the other intruder. After more than 10 minutes, police finally arrived on the scene and the victim was able to escape the house and meet officers outside. The intruder who was shot succumbed to his wounds and his partner in crime was never found. In December 2012, a frantic woman called 911 and gave dispatchers her Longmont, Colorado address, desperately hoping for the help of law enforcement. 11464 But before she could repeat the address to dispatchers, the unthinkable happened. The gunman, Daniel Sanchez, took over the call and explained the situation to the dispatcher. Okay, this Hello? is 911. What's going on? I just shot everybody right now. You just shot everybody? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to kill myself right now. Pablo? Yeah. Okay, just stay with me, okay? Don't shoot yourself. Okay. Daniel explained his reasons for committing such a violent act. Like six months ago, I caught my girlfriend cheating on me. Uh huh. Who else was there with with you tonight? Uh, right the now? other two people. Do you know who they were? Uh, her sister and her, and her uh, husband. With police on the way, the dispatcher began to prepare for their arrival. Okay, what room are you in right now? But it was too late. Hello? I think you just found yourself. Daniel had shot himself, taking the lives of three innocent people with him. It was 10 o'clock at night when a manic, paranoid William Paul Jones barged through the back door of the Neal family residence in Comstock Township, Michigan. Christopher Neal was watching television with his wife, Haley Coe, while their two-year-old daughter slept upstairs. Christopher frantically dialed 911 while his wife and daughter rushed to hide upstairs. He tried to make sense of the situation, but the intruder provided no answers. Why are you in my house, bro? Tell me who you talk to. You don't get speakerphone. Why are you in my house, though? 
Sensing Christopher's fear, William assured him that he wouldn't hurt him. Let my wife I, 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 okay. I'm not going to harm you guys. All right? I promise. Then William revealed the extent of his paranoid delusions. What are you doing in our house? I told you there's fire. Where was fired at? He ushered Christopher into a room and locked the door. Stop right here with me, man. No, I ain't going anywhere. Go in there with me, man. Christopher was alarmed that William locked the door, but William again assured him that he wouldn't hurt him, despite the two he was carrying. The dispatcher tried to convince William to disarm and allow the police to intervene. I've got help for you. I need you to put those down so that they can get you the help that you need. I want I want police here so I can The dispatcher transferred the call to a deputy on the scene, but after a brief exchange, William hung up the phone. Upstairs, Haley Co. continued hiding with her daughter. She could hear them talking downstairs, and then she heard the sound of her worst fears coming true. It's a really loud noise. I think it was fire. You heard a loud noise? Yeah. Police officers called Christopher's phone back, but it was William who answered. Hello? Hello? Is this Christopher? No. Christopher's dead. Only minutes later, Chris was dead. To death in his own home by William Paul Jones. His wife and daughter remained unharmed left to grieve their loss for the rest of their lives. William Paul Jones was tried and convicted for felony murder and 17 other charges and will spend the rest of his life behind bars. On August 22, 2012, Siobhan Thomas called 911 to report that her two-year-old son had been stabbed by her boyfriend. However, she immediately changed her story. You know what? You know, I did it. I'm lying. I'm lying. I'm lying. I'm lying. I did it. Only two years prior, Siobhan had lost custody of her son Zari after smoking PCP laced marijuana in a park and leaving her son unattended in a car. Zari was placed with relatives and Siobhan was able to regain custody only after meeting certain conditions. However, Siobhan continued to struggle with her mental health. You know what? You know Hello? What? You know what? Siobhan seemed incoherent as the dispatcher questioned her about the details of the incident. All right, you said your baby was stabbed. It's just your 
son? Yes. How old is he? Yes. Yes. Siobhan? Yes. How old is he? Siobhan's fragile mental state made it difficult for the dispatcher to make sense of the situation. I knew it. I knew it. Siobhan, where's he at? My boyfriend is going to come in the back door. He's going to come in the back door. So who did it? Your boyfriend stabbed him? Yep. I knew it. Who else was in the house? No. Javon's history of mental health and substance abuse problems was well known in her Camden, New Jersey community. The Department of Children and Families was heavily involved with the family, and Siobhan had been receiving treatment for behavioral health issues. However, she had not been consistent with her treatment plan. Swear it. Swear it. Do you take medicine? Swear it. I used to. What kind did you take? Um, Prozac. Prozac. Oh, okay. Um, you don't take it anymore? Nope. Okay. What's um, your name? Wait, 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 wait. I do. You still take I it? I do. I still take it. Did you take it today? I still take it. Um, I, I still take it. No. I didn't. No. No. I didn't take it today, but I should have. Okay. I have. Where are you? I should have took it today. Then, after a brief exchange, the line went quiet. Keep thinking what, man? Keep thinking. Siobhan. When police arrived, they found three-year-old Zari Thomas on the floor of the home. Siobhan lay nearby, having stabbed herself in the neck after hanging up the phone. October 26, 2014, checking since Sinclair made a chilling phone call to authorities. Um, yes, yes, ma'am, I need a police. A murder has been committed. Oh, a murder has been committed? By who? Pardon me, ma'am. By you? Yes, ma'am. Who did you murder? I murdered my wife. Jackson and his wife, Latwasa Argret, had gotten into an argument. Latwasa was seven weeks pregnant, and Checkingson had become angry over a text message she had received from an ex-boyfriend. The argument escalated, and Checkingson did the unthinkable. Uh, Checkingson claimed that it was in self-defense. Um, we got into an argument, and she came at me with the knife. Ultimately, prosecutors didn't buy Checkingson's story, and he was charged with the murder of Latwasa and her embryo. On Thursday, September 8, 2016, Stacy Stanley left her home in Greenwich, Ohio to get a coffee, but she got a flat tire at a gas station in nearby Ashland, Ohio, and her family filed a missing persons report when she didn't come home. The following Tuesday, 911 dispatchers received a terrifying call. The woman whispered as she made the phone call, her abductor fast asleep nearby. She had managed to escape her binds and call authorities, but she knew if her abductor woke, she was in trouble. Got a taser. Are you injured? 
Is there any way you can get out of the building? I don't know without waking him, and I'm scared. Well, his bedroom is closed, and he made it so it would make noise. And if you told him you had to go to the bathroom, he would do something to you? Yeah, because he had me tied up. Oh, shit, I woke him up. I'm a smoker. But when they arrived, the young woman couldn't get out of the house. She could see the police outside. Can you get out of the house? It's locked. Are you at the door? Yeah, I am. She's at the door. Is there a window there? Yeah, I'm looking out and they tell me to come back. Hurry, hurry. She said to hurry up and come back. Hurry up, hurry up. Get out here. Where is he? Inside, they found 40 year old Sean Great and three other bodies, including that of Stacy Stanley. In November 1980, Ruth Price, a 67-year-old woman who lived alone in a small San Diego apartment, called police about a suspicious man prowling the property. Oh, there's some guy been uh, checking the place out. Well, he went in the back. I have an apartment in the back, and he said he was looking for a guy. And he comes to my door. Yeah. And, uh said he's uh, looking for an apartment. Ordinarily, that might not be too suspect, but there was something about the man that must have felt threatening, and Ruth, after all, was vulnerable. So I'm, I live alone, and I'm an old lady. Mm-hmm. Where, where is he now, ma'am? I don't have no idea. What happens next is chilling. Newspaper reports indicate that Ruth was grabbed from behind and choked. Shockingly, despite how this 911 call sounds, Ruth was able to survive the harrowing attack by breaking the young man's grip on her neck, after which the attacker fled. However, it's unlikely that Ruth ever mentally recovered from the horror of being attacked in her own home by an unknown assailant. On May 1st, 2010, Shannon Gilbert called 911 from the Long Island home of Joseph Brewer. State police. There's somebody after me. Where are you, ma'am? I don't know. Shannon was an escort and Brewer her client. As the dispatcher attempted to locate her, Joseph's voice came over on the other end. It was unclear what the circumstances were, but Shannon was clearly in distress. Then the voice of Michael Pock came over the line. Michael Pock was Shannon's driver who had briefly left to buy cigarettes. As the call progressed, it became clear that Joseph Brewer and Michael Pock were trying to remove Shannon from the house. Please. 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 Go that way, please. Come on, let's go. Come on, we're all going to start. Come on, we're all going to start. Come on, we're all going to start. Come on. No, please. 
Brewer seemed fed up with the situation and went upstairs. Pac attempted to leave with Shannon, who was paranoid. Pac continued trying to convince Shannon to leave. Let's go back to the hall. Let's go back to Manhattan. Huh? We're in Long Island. We're near the water. Please stop. But Shannon was suspicious of Mike. You were part of this all along. I have met him just now. Not wanting to get back in the car, Shannon left the Brewer residence and ran down the street to Gus Coletti's house. It's unclear what happened, but Shannon let out a series of frightening screams. <coughs> Coletti answered when Shannon knocked on his door. Then Shannon turned around and ran away, prompting Coletti to call 911. So I live at Oak Beach in the association. There's a young girl about 14 years old running around here screaming, and there's some guy trying to follow her. A third phone call then came into dispatch as Shannon sought the help of another neighbor, Barbara Brennan. Some woman is knocking at my door. She says she's in danger. The last door Shannon knocked on was that of Dr. Peter Hackett. Hackett was the last person to see Shannon alive. Her body was found more than a year and a half after the night. She called police in fear for her life. She was found in a marsh only a short distance from Hackett's house. Hackett admitted to having taken Shannon in to help her, but denies any involvement in her disappearance. While law enforcement ruled Shannon's death an accident, there is widespread speculation that she was a victim of the notorious Long Island serial killer. On July 26, 2009, Priscilla Garcia called the police in a frantic state. My sister has... She's hurt her child. Seriously, you hurt her child. How did she do that? What's the, going on with the child? The baby is... <gasps> she has... What did you say? The baby is... <gasps> her sister, Audie Sanchez, had given birth to a son, Scott Wesley Buckholes Sanchez, less than three weeks prior. But Priscilla's last memory of Scott's short life would haunt her forever. The night before, Audie had suffered a psychotic break. She's, she's gone crazy last night. She was hearing voices. She kept bringing me the baby, and finally she calmed down, and I took her back to the baby. And then now I just woke up to her screaming. And her fragile postpartum mental state drove her to insanity. Come to me. I'm sorry, you tell me that you got it. I was, I'm 
body hadn't just killed the baby. She had, in fact, decapitated and dismembered the infant and had even eaten parts of him. Audie later told authorities that the devil had made her do it. Audie was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Thank you for listening. I, you know, I love you and um, I care about you and I love you. For more of the strange and terrifying, however, be sure to follow the Seriously Strange podcast so you don't miss what we've got in store for you. Watch the shadows and stay alive out there. If you'd like to make a call, please hang up and try again. If you need help, hang up and then dial your operator. Thanks to all of you for your support. The Seriously Strange podcast is made possible due in part to contributions made by our listeners like you. So if you would like to keep the Seriously Strange podcast online and accessible, please consider pressing the link that says support the show in the description of any podcast episode. You can then choose your preferred way to donate and send a contribution our way because we can't do this without our listeners' support. If you decide to contribute, it's tremendously appreciated, and we thank you so much. We read every single message included with each contribution, so feel free to include your comments or even make a request for a future topic. Thanks for listening. We've got a lot more in store for you. Take care and enjoy your next episode.